Transmission will start in five seconds from now. Five, four, three, two, one, in. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack-ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for you. It's no degree partial. It's a degree When someone asks me, as someday someone shall, about the division of labor on our podcast, I usually yep. tell them, you're the professor and I'm the general. Oh, I see. Okay. Sometimes I say you're the primary and I'm the general. Oh. Then I throw a smoke pellet at my feet and just Batman right out of there because I, I don't wish to continue that conversation. Yeah, I can see why. All right, I got another one for you. Okay. <laughs> Come at me. Glenn. Yeah. People sometimes ask me why we would want to pour so many precious non-renewable hours of our ever-shortening lives into a, a podcast. Do they really? People ask you that? Pretend they do. Okay. Say they do. Okay. Say that people have heard this podcast, yeah, well. have developed a deep curiosity about it. Okay. What I tell these people who definitely exist <laughs> is that podcasting is quite simply the most important, most far-reaching, most beneficent development in mass education since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. A marriage of science and mass communication, which results in the abolition of many years of tedious and wasteful Reddit posts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 17-episode season, indelibly pressed upon the mind in, well, increments of 45 to 70 minutes. Depends. We, we seem to be landing about 50 most okay. of the time. That's so a, a circa 1967 network hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more, right? <laughs> no. That's, okay. That's the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Watch TV was the sinister command, a command that must be obeyed. But what was the appalling secret behind this strange entertainment? In the village from which there is no escape, the prisoner finds himself locked in a desperate struggle against an evil, intangible force known as the General. Chris, my friend, uh, this episode was rough. Rough for me. Oof. It really biffed the dismount in a major way. This ending is pretty bad. Some stuff to like in the in the run-up, but oof, this ending. And I should say, also, I should warn folks, in just an interest of full disclosure, I, as we tape this, am coming off a um, digital vermouth tasting, which is maybe the bougiest sentence to ever escape these lips. Okay, so you you dip your fingers in vermouth and then uh, so yes, yeah, you, suck I, your fingers. Is you that went to the digital place. It's good, good, good. No, uh, my husband is turning fifty, so what he wanted to do was get our friend, a uh, very good bartender, to kind of walk some friends through various tastings. Yours is coming up in a in a couple of weeks. Uh, mark your calendar there, Chris. But this one was a, a a vermouth tasting, so I'm 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 flying on that vermouth juice. I'm I'm muthin. I'm I'm verm, vermicelli. I'm I don't know exactly what to call it. Like, uh, this is where I am. 
So I'm going to be uh, speaking some truth to okay. that which does not resemble power in any meaningful way. That's good. Because i got to tell you, this episode landed poorly on me. How about you? Well, I see this series in the same way that I see the the Bond films, which I just can't stop talking about, which I think is a fair comparison given the, the era and the milieu. Um, where even the bad ones are still pretty good. And I think that's because I'm mostly here for the aesthetics. You know, yeah, it's I nice if, if one of them has a story that works from beginning to end. At least in the case of the Bond series, there are many more that don't than that do. Well, that inclines me towards a degree of forgiveness that wouldn't really be defensible if um, I were being paid to review this show new. I, I recognize it's a very weak episode that I... Still had a hell of a lot of fun with. Means what it is. Brilliant. It means what it is. Brilliant. This is episode six, which is telling because, like the series itself, it's really interesting in the beginning, and then the last bit just kind of collapses in on itself in a really surprisingly awful way. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right. Episode six for, for us. Mm-hmm. This is a, a notable milestone for me watching on the the network blu-ray set because now we're on to disc two. Oh, okay so good to know sid and nancy and repo man writer director and i'm just going to put this out there glenn i'm just going to call our shot right now mm-hmm. future a degree absolute guest alex cox <laughs> okay in his book i am not a number decoding the prisoner he puts this episode the general 10th in the sequence Oh, well, that makes sense to me, actually. And it, it, does it come after A, B, and C? No, uh, before, before. It should come before. Uh, it makes more sense if it comes before. So this is episode number six. Colin Gordon's number two is back from episode three, A, B, and C. He does the opening Q&A, and we see him delivering the We Will live, which is because it is exactly the same shot that was in the uh, previous mm-hmm. episode, A, B, and C. And at the end of the Q&A, he does the same super fakey fake laughter that is just over the top and maniacal. And I'll play that clip again. Good. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> it's a lot. Where are our manners, Glenn? We have not even welcomed our listeners. Oh, you're right. You're right, yes. Chris. Okay, a couple sips of vermouth and the truth comes out because you seemed really excited about this last week and uh, that was a groan. Yeah, it's. I remember not seeing this episode often when we would watch and okay. rewatch this thing a lot, but oof, nope, 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 yeah, nope, nope. Yeah, well, the thing is, in 1966, Patrick McGowan, star of the long running TV series Danger Man, resigned at the height of that show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where each resident is referred to by a number. Surreal and provocative, silly and pretentious, ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lava lampedly of its time, mm-hmm. that short lived, long tailed series was called The Prisoner. Yes, it was. We made a show about it. We did. Would you like to know more? Press here if you'd like to know. Yes, I would like to know more. Well, welcome, Glenn. Welcome, everyone, to the private, personal, by-hand, punch-card-driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series mm-hmm. and... Here we go. We push it like a real lawnmower through wet grass. Sure. Three out of six. I had to look. I didn't know those were called real lawnmowers. I, I didn't know they were just that's... like manual. Like, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. The lawnmower that doesn't have any kind of an engine or just muscling through. That's a real R-E-E-L lawnmower. Really? Okay. Good to know. Yeah. We are neither of us uh, men who have worked with our hands a lot. <laughs> we file it like a tax return. Sure. That's solid. Solid. Five out of six. We stamp it like the back page of a library book. 
Okay. Five out of six. I, you know what? Six out of six, because I'm sure some librarians are listening. We index it like a digitus secundus. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. See, we're, eh, that's a second digital pun. We brief it like C.J. Craig in the White House. Mmm, five out of six. We debrief it like Patty Hearst after her arrest. Okay, why? Or is that some because kind of she, panty she, thing? No, she was, uh, you know, Stockholm Syndrome. That's oh, what she, sure. she adopted the ideology of her abductors or captors and uh, robbed a bank with them. Good, good, because you were reaching for debrief things, and, and you found you found one. So now I think you can follow this route for a good long time. I think this is good. <laughs> six out of six. We number it like a girl who's about to get her wisdom teeth taken out. Okay. I need some help here. I'm sorry. Numberer. Number. I hardly know her. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. Could Can I just revoke <laughs> all numbers then? Because that's... That oh, is... Oof. We number it like legal tender, Glenn. Okay. All right. Boo. Boo. I think that's boring. Yep. Like credit units sure. in the village, village, which we learn in this episode is basically like the Subway customer loyalty card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How so? At the cafe, when Six tries to order another coffee, uh, Six presents his card, and, and the waiter takes out a little hole punch. Oh, right. I didn't notice that. Yeah. We're going to talk McGoohans. We're going to talk MacGuffins. Yes, we are. Our inquiry into this still perplexing document is not of a degree diaphanous. No, it's not. It is not of a degree nebulous. No. It is not of a degree amorphous. Mm. Nope. Swallow that vermouth or wine, whatever it is, Glenn, and mm-hmm. tell us tell us what it is. It's a degree. It's a degree absolute, Chris. <laughs> It's a degree absolute. <laughs> wow, there was like a big cartoon bubble that just came out of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. All right, we start with an overhead shot of the village. <laughs> I sent you the teleplay for this episode. Did you get a chance to, no, I didn't, to I look didn't at that? Look, no. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, I only just discovered that they are, well, I don't know if they're all present, but many of them are present as text extras on the Blu-ray site. Okay, so they must be official because you buy them. Because there's plenty of them floating around online that I just don't. I don't trust, but if, you, if they came from the set, then they, that must They're be They're identified Jake. by the person who contributed them. One of them is from Tony Sloman, who, again, is the librarian on the, the series and is present on several of the commentary tracks, so he seems like a credible source. All right, legit. Too legit to quit. Uh, this overhead shot of the village freshly reminds us, Chris, that the village seems pretty great. I'm sorry. I mean, freedom, freedom, yeah. you know, like it's got a thriving cafe culture. It's right there on the beach, but the beach isn't too hot. Um, and <laughs> you, you don't have to worry about a sunburn. You can wear your trousers rolled and kind of put your toes in the sand. And I don't know, man. I just, uh, yeah, apparently it's the, the kind of beach where you can wear your smoking jacket. Yes, there. exactly. Or maybe the professor was in a hurry. I know I'm fast forwarding you a little bit. You are getting ahead of yourself. We, yep. We see him running like, like he's in the beginning of help. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, Hard Day's Night. Help is the one that Leo McKern is in. That's why I was thinking of help. But anyway, he looks like he just beat it out of his study in great haste. It is a big, long beach, and that's why it kind of exhausts him, and he collapses. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, because first we see Six at that cafe drinking a little demitasse, a little tiny cup of coffee. Yeah. And then he gets anger-cruised by number 12, uh, who is played by John Castle, who is a fine-looking piece of man. And he looks like a young Christopher Nolan. He, I wouldn't, that's not where I would go, but but you went no? there. Uh, his most significant credits are Antonioni's Blow Up, uh, which he did the, just the year before this, and The Lion in Winter, and that is fast becoming uh, for Prisoner guest stars what yeah. Law and Order is to New York-based actors. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting lots of Lion in Winter, uh, right. not cast-offs exactly. 
So to make sure that we notice that... Well, hang, hang on a second. Yes. We've established that booze is verboten mm -hmm. in the village, unless you go down to the, the therapy zone. Sure. Do you think he's drinking real coffee, or is it decaf? It's pro I, I bet it's real coffee, because, I mean, you, you yeah. know, I bet it's real coffee. I mean, okay. we do know that he goes home, and then he makes instant coffee, which is gross. But uh, we get, when 6 notices 12 cruising him, the quick zoom in. Which is a camera move you don't see much anymore, um, but it had a huge heyday in film and television right around this time, the quick zoom. Uh, it's often accompanied by a music sting, as it is here. It is um, very unsubtle, uh, but it uh, it is meant to kind of jar us, and I guess it does. We hear over the loudspeaker a male announcer for the first time. It's not the, uh, some clouds today, but dry, not the woman. It's a, it's a man, and not only is it a man, Chris... It is an American accent, the first American accent we've heard in this supposedly very international uh, village. Yeah. Uh, there's an announcement from the general's department, repeat, from the general, which introduces a bit of confusion right away because um, where is the general? Like, when Six was about to leave the village in the previous episode, Schizoid Man, number two tells him that the general will be furious, and Six says, well, I'll, I'll put it in my report when I report to him, and that is one of the things that... Screws up yeah, his tips off number two that uh, he's talking to actual six and mm -hmm. not fucking flapjack Charlie Curtis. Flapjack Charlie Curtis. Uh, and we learn that the professor will be starting his speed learn course in half an hour. Now we are what three minutes into this episode, Chris, and we have already fundamentally cut off at the knees the first bullet point of this show's story bible, which is that for official purposes, everyone is assigned a number. Except if you have a title, I guess. You're the professor, yeah. the general. Where are these coming from? And if you are watching this for the first time, you're like, okay, so where does the general in this hierarchy? Is he number one above number two? Or is there yeah. some separate? It's needlessly confusing. And then number 12 comes up to number six, and they stand very close together. And uh, number 12 is clearly into number six. You know how you can tell, Chris? There's a tell. Okay, tell me. Uh while he is talking to number six, number 12 looks at number six's lips. That's it. That's the tell. Uh, and it, this is universal, by the way. In, in the pilot of uh, Veronica Mars, if you watch that, the guy playing Veronica Mars' dad, great actor, um, in their first scene, as they kind of stand, you know, face to face, he is looking at her lips a lot. And he was obviously told to kind of walk that back because that is not the right energy for father-daughter stuff. So you're getting that more from John Castle than from Peter Bowles. There is some heat A, between them. Yes, there is some heat between them, but it is unidirectional because uh, number 12 wants what six is, is laying down, and six is having none of it because that's his thing. Number 12 encourages him to enroll. You'll find the professor most interest. Really? With an extraordinary range of knowledge. And at one point, it looks like Six is setting us up for one of his uh, signature zingers, where he says, the only subject I'm interested in, and you're like, oh, we're going to get a a school-based pun or some kind of matriculation pun. Maybe yeah, it's recess because, I, you know, he wants to leave. <laughs> but the only yeah. subject I'm interested in... The only subject that I'm interested in is um, getting away from this place. Okay, well, I guess you can't go up to bat every time and not get out of the park. That's fine. It was, I, was, I was thought you were going to go someplace with that six, but no, apparently not. In Fallout by Alan Stevens and Fiona Moore, they say that this teleplay by Louis Griefer, though he used the pen name Joshua Adam, was shot pretty much as as written. Very little revision, apparently because Griefer was a, a guy who McGowan knew and, and had confidence in. It 
okay. may have benefited from some punch up, but it really would have because there's some big leaps that this thing is going to make, some big logical leaps that I just it just leaves you behind. Yeah, this may partially have been down to to haste. Uh, Peter Graham Scott, the director who does contribute a commentary track on the Blu-ray, he was a last-second replacement for Robert Lynn, whom. McGowan fired on the Friday before mm-hmm. the Monday where they were going to start shooting this episode. Mm-hmm. Scott had directed a film, I can't remember the title of, that uh, McGowan had been in. He said McGowan called him that Friday night and said, I need you to start shooting at 8.30 Monday morning. And he had a commitment with the, the BBC. He said McGowan made some calls, flexed his muscle to get him sprung for two weeks. That's the schedule when they already have their Port Marion exteriors. They're right. just going to be in the studio. Two weeks is what they have blocked out. Uh, Scott got a copy of the script by Motorcycle on Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. and he did not understand it. Oh, sure. But he showed up Monday morning as ordered. Okay, well, that explains some (laughs) of what might be going a little awry here. So, a helicopter, a mini-moke, and just a really surprising number of uh, everyday village citizens are chasing someone on the beach. Uh, 12 speculates that they are chasing the professor Orange alert. Orange alert. Uh, They catch him. They take him back. Six goes to investigate, and he finds a tape recorder in the sand the size of a microwave oven, this thing, um, with a message from the professor. I want to interrupt you here to say this is, like, at best a faint orange alert because there is no rover. No. We get the orange alert, and then it's just the little mini-mo driving through the sand. If we're going by the American broadcast sequence... We did see Anton Rogers order Rover deactivated in the the last episode after he killed after it killed fucking Flapjack Charlie Curtis. Oh, so yeah. perhaps Rover remains under investigation in huh. this episode. But it's weird that there's an orange alert without Rover. Yep. Yep. All we know is that it's a message from the professor. He doesn't actually play it. He hides it in the sand and is taken back to his apartment by some goons in stripy shirts. Not by Rover, so maybe that's again, maybe that falls into your um Maybe that falls into your theory. On his TV, we we get to match the American voice to the man it it belongs to, who's this mustachioed dude, sort of Sergeant Pepper era George Harrison kind of, maybe (laughs) just just the mustache. His first name is Al, that actor, Mm -hmm. which we would infer, but let's credit him appropriately. Al Mancini. Mm, Sure. He seems to be the professor's hype man. And he's talking about how they've achieved 72% enrollment, and they hope it gets higher. Then the professor's wife comes on and apologizes for the temporary delay. The professor's wife, by the way, don't look for her to get a number or a name. She's just the professor's <laughs> wife throughout yeah. this entire fucking episode. Yeah, Mancini, Al, uh, announcer guy, refers to her as Madame Professor. <laughs> yeah. The professor comes on finally. <laughs> He raves about the benefits of speed learn. It is quite simply the most important, most far-reaching, most beneficent development in mass education since the beginning of time. A marriage of science and mass communication, which results in the abolition of years of tedious and wasteful schooling. And then we get this show being this show. We get the zappy lights, we get the wishy sounds. Six seems transfixed. He drops his instant coffee, and uh, is that instant? I th- I thought that was tomato juice. Oh, really? That's it might what be. it looked like. He was was red. Well, okay, I'm not the colorblind, Chris. And red brown is the. Uh, I'm sorry. The... I know I wasn't trying to out you as uh, monochrome. <laughs> it's more more deuteronomous, but uh, you know, six of one half a dozen. Yeah. Uh, 
so whatever it is, you know, coffee or, or tomato juice, it is tough to get out. So among other things, the village is Scotch Garden because that thing comes up immediately. And then two enters yeah. and says, mopping up operations, number six, which doesn't mean anything. I mean, it is a yeah. military term. Did you realize that? I didn't know that, but I had to look it up. Did you know it's a military term? Yeah, I've heard that yeah, used in that context. It just means after a battle, you go around and you kill all the remaining enemies. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of a sinister thing for him to say, upon uh-huh. first meeting number six. He's come with a uh, twink with a metal detector in tow because they suspect that six has the professor's tape recorder. Uh, this is the first time, theoretically, that um, number number this number two and number six interact, theoretically, but um, right. again, it's, it's who knows. But number two is in full-bore supercilious smug mode here. He is just insufferable. They have a back and forth where yeah. Six realizes that the speed learn uh, that he unwittingly watched absolutely worked. He has memorized discrete data points about European history, including a uh, historical attempt to raise Russia's prestige, um, which uh, he really hits those R's. And, yeah, and that's when you take kind of a take a moment and think, you know, they assigned him number six, just randomly, but if they had assigned him number three, we would get, every time he said his name, we would get a three, just like he's a, he's an owl eating a Tootsie Pop, you know. That one, is a missed opportunity. Two, three. Yeah. Appropriately, what I find most memorable about this episode is the speed learn sound effect and music. Hmm. That... Try getting that out of your head. Yeah. Followed closely by that... Like that little chime that I don't know if that announces that the general is being turned on or or what, but mm-hmm. we hear that a lot too. We do, we do, and we get a shot of the professor's face that we kind of zoom into, zoom into his eye, and it's very uh, what we would later term psychedelic. But I don't think they had that term quite yeah. in 1967. Maybe 1968 is when it kind of kicked in. But yes, this is very uh, trippy. He then calls the operator, Six calls the operator, um, just picks up the phone and the operator answers because 1967, and finds that the operator has memorized exactly those same data points, expressed exactly the same way. So then later on, 15 minutes before curfew, and I'll come back to that because that obsessed me, uh, Six sneaks out to find the tape recorder he hid in the sand earlier. Uh, Instead, he finds number two lurking in the bushes, at night, on a stretch of beach. So, the village has its own Fire Island Pines, and that is good to know. Even the village has cruising spots. Um, the two grapple, but not in the fun way. And mm. you can tell the 12 really wants to get divided by six, if you know what I mean, Chris. You can tell that uh, six goes into two, but uh, 12 doesn't necessarily go into six. You know what I'm saying? You follow no, me here? No, no, please elaborate. It's uh, really uh, something, something, square root. Anyway, 12 has the tape recorder. He gives it to Six, tells him to use it with number two to get his freedom. Six is suspicious because that's, if we could have a verbal macro, Six is suspicious is just something we would use over and over again in the show. 12 uh, tells Six that um, that uh, 12 trusts him. It's a moment. Hmm. They just, it's, yeah. it's always a unidirectional moment with Six, but there, it's a real moment between the two. Um, and then... He listens right there in the sand, right there in the night. He just listens to the taped message. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow villagers, students, this is the professor speaking. I have an urgent message for you. You are being tricked. Speedlearn is an abomination. It is slavery. 
If you wish to be free, there is only one way. Destroy the general. Learn this and learn it well. The general must be destroyed. And you figure it takes him, what, three minutes to get to the beach from his apartment? And then he has to kind of look around in the sand yeah. for where he was. And then there's the grappling and the little back and forth. We were at minute eight easily. And he is just sitting there out in the sand playing this tape when curfew is like oh, 10 yeah. minutes away, five minutes away. Okay. Yes. You have already chided me for drawing from a very shallow pool of references. And uh-huh. I'm just, just going to lean into that charge because where I always think of this is... Um, at the end of Alien and Aliens, where we hear a computer voice counting down to detonation <laughs> and how many minutes and seconds you have to get the hell away. Each time I watch these movies, I like, you know, I should really look at my watch and see if we're, <laughs> we're sticking to the time. Never do it. No. Never do it. No, don't, don't do want to know. No. So he listens to the tape message. It is a subversive message. The professor warning the people of the, of the village, the only way to be free is to destroy the general. Yeah. Not kill significantly, or at least Mm -hmm. the show thinks it's significant. I'm thinking it's less significant. So at the cafe the next morning, the waiter has an exchange with an elderly villager about, you know, the history. And that elderly villager is played by one... Chris, did you look this up? I didn't. That elderly villager is played by one Mr. Ian Fleming. Oh, okay. I did spot his name in the the credits. Mere coincidence. Yes. Uh, Ian Fleming, the progenitor of James Bond, was dead a couple years by this point. Yeah. But uh, still funny. This is an Australian character actor who, you know, one time in his long career had played uh, Dr. Watson against Sherlock Holmes. Not the same guy, but like how weird is that? That, I mean, that that is not a common name. No, Ian Fleming is uh, memorable. So, at the town hall, not, not in number two's office significantly, but at the town hall, number two is talking to number one, assuring them that everything's going fine, 100% cooperation. Uh, the professor's escape was just a glitch. Without the marked fear and anxiety that he will show when speaking into that engorged red phone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in A, B, and C, which obviously follows this one because this number two is going to be in deep shit for allowing the general to be destroyed at the end of this episode, I guess. Spoiler. Um, Which is, yes, why he is uh, placed under the supervision of that horrifying red phone, which is not present in this this episode. It's just regular old futuristic cordless phones of the type that would come into being 25 years after this show. Yep. And he drinks his uh, signature milk, but it's not like a... it's a, it's a thing. It's not given the kind of attention that it will be in... in uh, right. He's, he's sipping it. He's not quaffing it out of desperation. Right. As he's quaffing or sipping, he muses that he resents the fact that the bold scientific experiment that they are engaged in is being treated as a military exercise, which is, you got to say, a little bit more insight into uh, a number two's psyche than we normally get on this show. Absolutely. It was a layer. I mean, the- this entire episode is kind of a window into what broader purpose the village and its creators might have. This is the first episode we've seen where the plot is not something is being done to number six. This mm-hmm. is number six is made aware of something the village is doing independently of him. They have developed this insidious technology, Speed Learn. Clearly, they have broader plans for it after successfully testing it on the population of the village. Mm-hmm. 
And number 12, who seems to be a, a genuine dissident within the, the ranks of whatever organization controls the village, recruits Six to be sort of his, his agent. Mm-hmm. So Six is a reactive figure in this one in a way that he isn't in the other episodes. Right. It's not about escape. It's not about preservation. It's about right. doing something for others, which is a good direction for the show to go in. I just think it kind of fumbled the execution here. Number 12 comes in and reports to number 2 that the professor's coming along and then does the permission to speak freely, sir, thing and that mm-hmm. says that he believes that they are indulging the professor's crackpot theories and idiocies which is a word you don't hear much, but I I, I love its employment here, his idiocy is too much. Uh, He promptly gets slapped down by number two after saying that he's been there a long time. What's wrong with that, Chris? What's wrong with the fact that number 12 would say he's been at the village a long time? Because in the episode just prior to this, number 12 was an alternate version. Number 12 was Flapjack Charlie. Flapjack Charlie, yes. yes. Right. (sighs) Well, they might, the, the warders might not, maintain consistent numbers. I mean, we've seen the number two changes all the time. We've seen uh, number six refer to uh, number 14 back in A, B, and C, mm-hmm. that you know, number 14 was uh, an old man in a wheelchair mm-hmm. a week before number 14 became this lady doctor. So I don't know that that's necessarily a... I mean, I guess they would, you know, reassign the number as soon as that, uh-huh. that guy died, right? So right. But, and so maybe he was just a different number. But, like, if numbers connote to importance, which they theoretically do, we have that as canon, then, then do I Do we have that as canon? Um, she's, when number two in uh, Chimes of Big Ben says, she may be a near, mere number 58. Oh, right. I am not a number. I am a man. Oh, wait, I'm number five. Ha <laughs> ha, in your face, number six. So, two goes to the control room to spy on the professor, who is tapping away at a typewriter the size of a mini fridge. The doctor and nurse then take the professor away for therapy, but the doctor hangs back and feeds the professor's notes into a machine that turns it into this amazing, wonderful, very long, giant punch card thingy with... Yeah, that thing looked like a CVS receipt. <laughs> it really did. But yet... The number of holes on this thing cannot possibly connote to the amount of data that was in the pieces of paper (laughs) that were... Anyway, don't think about it. Um, They then spy for no readily discernible reason on the seminar, which turns out to be something led by the professor's wife. Again, no name. She doesn't have a name. She's not wearing a number. She's just the professor's wife. It's an art class, basically. And to their surprise, (laughs) it's attended by number six... Yeah. Who proceeds to have a very odd exchange with the professor's wife. That gentleman over there. What do you think he's doing? Tearing up a book. He's creating a fresh concept. Construction arises out of the ashes of destruction. And that woman? Standing on her head. She's developing new perspective. Really? Him? He's asleep. One learns only when the mind wants to not accept times. Uh, is that what your husband believes? It's it's the script taking kind of soft lobs at, I, I don't know what, what is it, creative expression or something? This is another Patty McGee broadside at Abstract Art, which is established as <laughs> basically primitive. I think that's what he's saying here. Is that, because I couldn't, because it's like, take that, art appreciation classes. Like, why, like, why are you, yeah, screw you. Either Stevens and Moore or Cox, I should have 
looked this up before we got on here so I could cite it appropriately. But well, they see the the whole speed learn gambit as a critique of the rote recitation method of, of learning, which in this country decades later becomes <laughs> no child left behind yeah, right, yeah. and teaching to the test and, and all the, yeah, just memorize these facts. And it's not about uh, actual cognition or, or no creativity you know, or connections thought, among yeah, yeah, things yeah. that... They see that as being a, a sort of timely for 1967 critique of the educational system that then in England is replaced with something at least as bad, where free expression and uh, imagination is, is valued over hmm. the fundamentals. I think you get both sides of it in, in this episode because you have uh, Speed Learn, which is just about being force-fed names and dates and, and facts without any deeper understanding but then the silly art class where, you know, a headstand is difficult. Like if this were PE class, that would be that would be good. That would be legit. It's core strength, balance, a lot of important physical capacities that you are developing yeah. with your, your headstand. But Chris, if it is a critique of merely learning discrete data points without having any kind of connective tissue between them or, or having any independent thought, then they needed to go back and revise what people learned in Speed Learn because in that those speeches, we get not just it happened at this date, we get what happened because Bismarck felt that blah, 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 did not understand, blah, blah, blah. Like there's connective tissue there. And for it to work, for this thing to really sell, yeah. you need to have it just be data and not um, not context. And yet, in the Speed Learn lessons, we get some context, which is, anyway. Number six talks to the professor's wife, and he attempts to draw her out with a conversational feint that they must teach at MI6, where he says that he's into military history, Generals and that sort of thing, which is smooth, smooth. Look at that guy. And she gets she gets frosty because, of right. course, she can see what he's yeah. doing. And because he has drawn a picture of her in a general's outfit. This is when we learn that there are some wide gaps in this village's surveillance system because Six can basically just sneak into her house, uh, just sneaks into what turn out to be some pretty sumptuous quarters. It looks so it, much I mean, like Madame Ungadine's mansion. Yeah, it's a what pretty, a pretty weird, weird coincidence right? Some of the same uh, art. They're just like yep. really identical. They must use the same decorator. There is a moment that is maybe one of my favorite moments on the show so far, where he is sneaking into this room, he turns on a light switch, and then he darts around. He whips around as if he <laughs> wasn't the one who just turned on the light switch himself. It is pretty dumb, yeah. but it is very funny. You know, Muhammad Ali was off and running by this time, and he famously said he would hit the light switch and be in bed before it go. got dark because he was so fast. Maybe McGowan wanted to show that that he was the greatest. I'm, I don't know. He, he was the greatest. Uh, the professor's wife corners him. He proceeds to interrogate her in this weird room filled with busts that are covered with tarps. We learn that uh, That there that is a McKern says, bust in there, which well, yeah, is we're, a, we're a rare that. bit of... Uh, Continuity. We're getting there. They, yeah. they came here voluntarily. They enjoy certain privileges. She has sculpted several busts, but she keeps them under tarps in her own house yeah. for reasons that don't, I mean, I guess you don't want dust on these things. Right. I don't understand why they're under tarps, but they're, they're under tarps so that he can reveal them dramatically. And he keeps taking the tarps off because he is convinced for, again, no readily discernible reason that one of them must be of the general. Where does that logic flow from, Chris? I don't because know. I, you know, I mean, taking a cane and, and hitting someone in a lying in bed, that's that's never not going to be dramatic for a second. But it does yeah, I, I don't understand what the what the wax dummy in the bed who supposedly the professor reveals at yeah. all. 
So as he's, she's pulling off these uh, these tarps, several of them are number twos, uh, including the current one. The, the last one he does is of a woman with a ponytail, which might be uh, indicative, but it's not really. Uh, number two and the doctor show up. Uh, they refuse to deal with number six, even though he is committing criminal trespass. Um, and then six goes into the bedchamber, as you say, and smashes the professor's fool head in, which turns out to be a hollow kind of wax sculpture. Yeah. Ferris Bueller is off, uh, like, at the Sears Tower and impersonating <laughs> yep. the Sausage King of Chicago, and, like, he is not in bed sick at all. Okay, so explain this to me, Chris, because I mean, she apparently did this sculpture, but she seemed to be surprised when he bashed his head in. So what was all that about? Like, She home. does gasp before does. Six uh, brains that mannequin. So they're keeping him in his office where they're overworking the professor. So this dummy in the bed is... For what purpose? To fake out whom? To uh, fake out his wife? Yeah. To yep. to. So she's never going to go in that room and and sit by her husband and like. No, or she's, she she's working on her bust and supervising bust. her uh, headstand students. Or she's is busy. it a fake out just in case number six, for example, just happens to break in and enter their house? So he, it doesn't. I don't know what it's for. Yeah. All right, so out in the village, there's this carnival atmosphere because people know facts uh, now, and that's that's apparently worth putting a skull head on and dancing around in the streets. Yeah, um, and there like there are suddenly people under 25 in the village, that's true. and they're all yes. really excited about how they've been force-fed European history since Napoleon to the extent yep. that they have made signs uh, alleging that speed learn works, and that like this is sort of a, a happy demonstration. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's a 100% entry, 100% pass, they still feel the need to go and, you know, I don't know. I mean, pep rallies are a thing. That isn't so crazy. Pep rallies are indeed a thing. So uh, this kind of oleaginous, this obsequious American interview, interviewer just goes around and interviewing people. Uh, we get a moment of more terrible cruising. mic technique. Terrible mic technique. Yep. Yes, he's, he's just, he's just not... waving that mic all over everywhere. Like it's yeah. not it's not in front of his mouth. It's not in front of the interview subject's mouth. It... It's just there in the wind. Uh, back at his apartment, number six uh, blows a fuse. The guy from electronics comes comes by. Turns out it's a deliberately his little riding lawnmower. Uh... <laughs> yep, it's a deliberately blown fuse. Uh, it turns out to all to be an elaborate ruse by number twelve to get them fifteen seconds alone. The dark. I want to share with you uh, an anecdote from director Peter Graham Scott about, quote, this fat old actor mm. who, who played the electrics repair man. Not cool. No. He says, this, this fat old actor would always say, I'm available. What a horrible thing to say for yourself. I'm available. All right. It's just Good. coming Good. after this guy for trying to get work when this is yeah, the dude who, you know, who showed up on two days notice because he got a phone call from <laughs> yeah. Patty McGee saying, I fired this other guy. Come shoot this show that you don't understand. Ugh, um, yeah, there's lots that's wrong with that. Six is given a pen in their little intimate moment with the 12 with a micro. It's, it doesn't say fiche, doesn't say phone, it's just it has a micro. Uh, yeah. And then he's also given two electronic passes. And then yeah. once the, the power comes back on, he loudly orders him to come to his office in the morning for discipline. Which... I'm just mm-hmm. going to let lie there. Uh, so the next morning at the town yeah, it's hall. It's weird that he said come in the morning, not, the, <laughs> not like come, come right now for discipline. Well, yeah, I think we'll return to this. The next morning at the town hall board members meeting for lecture approval session education. With... It's the school board. It's it's the PTA. I, I, I don't. And so anyway, we should, we should let people know that the board members are all dressed 
basically like British Undertakers with yep. Ray-Bans. That's pretty much their, uh, their Peter vibe. Graham Scott said he didn't know what that was about, but it was uh, something McGowan insisted upon. Good then. So there are these two vials with electronic equipment inside them, which are really just like the, the, the ink cartridges of a pen. Oh, wait, basically. wait a second. No, I have to stop you. Are you not going to talk about the device by which each member of the lecture approval session... We is... will get there when uh, okay. when when, right. when number six finds a way to confound <laughs> this this uh, right. airtight security system. I just, yes. I just want to make sure that we're going to discuss my, we will my discuss. favorite thing in this episode. It is so silly. Two vials with electronic equipment in a pretty sweet leather case. I really like the case. Mm-hmm. It's, it makes sense that uh, the director wouldn't understand what the hell's going on, because at this point, number two says, micro-reduction report satisfactory, which doesn't mean anything. There's a bit of sinister business about this, because number two is all like, I'm sure it will be 100% success in a very kind of mustache-twirly way. Okay, so now, Six shows up to the session in disguise as a board member, with the suit, with the top hat, with the, with the Ray-Bans. Where did this come from, Chris? I have a theory, but I want to hear yours. I, I don't have a theory. All right. So when 12 told him to come to his office first thing in the morning, what he probably did was when he showed up, he probably had this suit waiting for him and said, now change into, into this. This is what I'm This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm <laughs> okay. thinking. All right. This is my fan wank that uh, he went to see number 12. Number 12 gave him this outfit. We see number two going into a room called the projection room by saying, number two, the sublimator, which I mean... <laughs> The sublimator turns out to be the device by which speed learn works. Yeah. What'd you think it was? But I mean, why would you go? Why would you? He goes up to the guards and says, number two with the sub, as if if like, number two, I'm here to see the sublimator. Like, why? (laughs) Why would you say that? Uh, He tells the tech to get ready to transmit the lecture. And this, Chris, this is the moment. This is number six hanging outside the lecture approval session, trying to figure out the procedure for entry. He uh, listens to what somebody who went in before him says, and he internalizes that but then he throws his briefcase across the portal which gets zapped and thrown back in his arms exactly precisely uh that's the the good kind of force field it's like the um the thing that's at my physical therapy clinic where you throw the ball right at the little net thing and it (laughs) and you try to catch it like it it doesn't incinerate the ball no right it just just throws it back at you yeah so that's that's the kind of force field i like but that's what happens the first time you try to go through it. The second time, we are we are informed that he needs a pass for entry, and the second attempt is fatal. Yeah. Um, uh, is it a, is it an electro pass? <laughs> or just a... It's, a, it's more a multi pass, I think. Yeah, okay. uh, so he he doesn't even try to disguise his voice, and somehow manages to make his way through the village's infamous airtight security system, which is electronic piggy bank based. Yep. Uh, yep. So you put a coin in. A little hand, a little plastic hand comes uh-huh. up very slowly and then picks it up. Yep. It is, it's meant to be funny and it's funny. I oh, wonder boy, if those were popular novelty items in 1967 because my grandfather, who died before I was born, had one. My father's father, again, who I never knew, but he had a bar set up in the basement of their house on the south side of Chicago that my, my grandmother lived in until she died when I was 28, so decades mm-hmm. after after he passed. And um, although my, my father and my grandma would, would speak of him, of course, most of my sense of who this man was, of what his personality was like, comes from this bar that he put in the basement of his house, which was decorated with all these tchotchkes and knickknacks and souvenirs that were kind of tacky and funny, and, and he had one of these coin banks. 
Now, was it a skeleton hand or a re- real hand? It like was. This? It was like a green, a green hand. Like so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if it was supposed to be Frankenstein's monster or mm-hmm. the zombie. Or never once occurred to me to like take a sip from one of the ancient cobwebbed bottles of booze that was just hanging <laughs> up back there when I was growing up. I was there for the toys, for the tchotchkes, mm-hmm. One of which was one of these banks, which I just thought was super cool. You put the little coin in the slot, and the hand would come out of the box and snatch it. Come out very slowly and then snatch it very quickly. Yep, and that yep. is the and the dichotomy between the slow reach and the quick grab is the is where humor ostensibly arises. So at the session, number twelve gives a report while six is skulking around. He KOs two guards. Uh, he enters the projection room. He KOs the projectionist, uh, replacing the lecture that's supposed to go These out. These guards, I, I think this is an important wardrobe note. These these are not our uh, stripy shirted. Toughs. These guys have more military-looking uniforms. With, they look like uh, MPs. They yeah. have fatigues, but mm-hmm. white, like pith helmets, white belts, and they are wearing boxing shoes, Glenn. They are oh, wearing yeah. boxing boots so that they don't slip on the canvas once it gets sweaty. Bloody, there, bloody, I guess, or, sweaty, or, or, or bloody. bloody, bloody and sweaty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got batons, white batons. I really like the way that Six lures one of them down the hall to knock mm-hmm. him out by just sticking one of his white-gloved hands uh, around the corner and, and beckoning him. Yeah. And the the guard, this this highly trained elite security professional, does a, a great, like, whoa. Yeah, uh, I know. And it doesn't, it doesn't. it's great. Mm, great. He replaces the lecture in the sublimator with the subversive lecture that number 12 gave him, uh, but he gets caught. When uh, two happens to check in with the various stations in preparation for this lecture, we spent a lot of time checking in on stations uh, in this episode. Yeah. Uh, number twelve, <laughs> number twelve is trying to distract number two from the fact that it's number six who has donned the projectionist's wardrobe at this point, but uh, to no end. And six is staring into the sublimator and is apparently so enraptured that he fails to hear. Two jackbooted guards enter the projection room, climb the stairs, and knock him unconscious. And then uh, the lecture goes off, uh, like uh, as planned, with the zappy sounds and the zoomy lights, and Mm -hmm. then we get zooming in and out and zooming in and out because it's the 60s. Later on, 12 interrogates 6, very showily interrogating 6 because he has to preserve his um, anonymity or whatever. 2 is very smug because that is his... Um, central personality trait and he acknowledges that this kind of interrogation won't work on number six he then gets a call from the professor's wife that he takes right in front of six (laughs) because why would you do that why would you just say you know send it to my secretary anyway he confides in him that they need both the professor and his wife for speed learn to work because the villain's gonna monologue and reveal to you the flaw in their plan Number two then says that six won't give them the answers they want, but the general will be able to provide them, given us, you know, if once you feed the general uh, certain basic facts. So they head over to the general's office. Eventually, it takes a while as they walk through the same hallway six times in, in different angles. Yeah, Scott, the director, he bitched about this. He did not like shooting this this corridor over and over again. Mm-hmm. So even though he is recording this like 40 years after the fact, he remains pissed off about this corridor. So I, I can only assume he was never invited to direct a West Wing episode because he <laughs> did not like this. We're, we're going to meet the general. We're going to meet the general, who it turns out 
And this must have been a, I guess this must have been a reveal in 1967, but like it turns out it's a computer, a computer the size of an 18-wheeler with the, with the reel-to-reels and the, the yeah, flashy lights yeah. and the punch cards. I mean, the general, more like General Electric. You know what I'm saying? There, there is a nice camera move where we're introduced to the general we and we hold on the professor's face for a second and then the camera pans over to this giant yeah. univac. And thing. then we get the zoom in because we got to get the zoom in because it's 1967. Yeah. I was trying to identify, and this is clearly a flaw in my thinking, the, as though there were only one Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk talks a sentient computer into, yep. <laughs> into blowing itself up. I, I have written down here, Chris, he Kirks. He Kirks the computer. That's exactly Excellent. what I said. That's exactly right. What I landed on was a, a decade-old Gizmodo post by Charlie Jane Anders where she oh, sure. rounds up all of the many, many, many times in which a hero, frequently Kirk, who she describes as the master of this technique, persuades a sentient computer to self-terminate. Yeah, boy. So, number two starts monologuing. That mass of circuits, my dear fellow, is as revolutionary as nuclear fission. No more wastage in schools, no more tedious learning by rote. And what have we got? A row of cabbages. Indeed. Knowledgeable cabbages sort of knowledge for the time being past history we'll have to do but shortly we should be making our own soon we will make our own which i okay i'll give it this that's a good line that's not about that's a b plus yeah. line it's right there it's right. sitting right there on the table but it's it's a good line yeah and uh, number six complains that that they're going to end up with a bunch of cabbages which um starvation solved right if we can sure can, uh, have six billion ready to eat cabbages Six likes his cabbage metaphors. Like, he yes. really, this is this, he's returned to the rotting cabbages. Knowledgeable cabbages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he gets this golem and the precious gleam in his eye when he says it because this is villainy right here. There's not a lot of layers here. Yeah. I do like Colin Gordon quite a bit more in this episode than I, than I liked him in, in A, B, and C. He's one of the bottom tier number twos, but, mm-hmm. um, but I like him more in this episode. I just think he's only giving you the one note, though, and that's yeah. the thing. Um, but anyway, he asked the professor to ask the computer, because that's how it worked back then, where you would have, uh, to answer a question with a given set of data points. Number one, point number one, a traitor in the village. Point number two, security pass disks were issued to number six. Now, do you spot the flaw in this reasoning yet, Chris? Because why do they leap to the conclusion that somebody gave him these when he could have just gone to the nearest geezer dressed like an undertaker and KO'd him? He has shown that <laughs> yeah. penchant before. He's, yeah. That's what he does. That's what he do. That's his whole raison damn d'etre. He took down a soldier in boxing boots. Presumably right. some 70-year-old dude in a top hat would not present a, a major physical obstacle to him. It's not like they disguise themselves and they blend in. It's like you look around the village, who's the dude, in the, who's the undertaker? Go after the undertaker, get, get his security pass. Anyway, point number three, access to these security pass disks is through dot, 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 administration. And then we get a nice touch. He goes, he gets into uh, number 12's face, which I can't blame him for doing because it's yeah. a good face. And we get the, we don't go and get the gulp from number 12, <laughs> but that's kind of the subtext of the uh-huh. scene. And then he throws more fuel on the fire by saying, right. and that number 12 is an official in administration, which, you know, objection leading the witness, but, I mean, I guess, you yep. know, he's number, yep. number two. What are you going to do? Yeah. Then, and this is when it all just, this whole episode just collapses in on itself, Chris. Um, so number six says, oh, I want to ask the question, uh, I want to ask the general a question he cannot answer. And It's insoluble. It's insoluble. Uh, 
And this whole bag of bullshit that we're about to watch takes up, eats up like two minutes of this episode. And I, we were walking down that corridor for 30 seconds. That's a long time. This yeah. is two minutes of number two going, I, I, how dare you? And then it goes, uh, are you afraid? But okay, do it. And then yep. there's the and typing. And number six is like, what's the matter, McFly? Are you chicken? Yeah, it's exactly what that's the dynamic here. And then he, the typing and the feeding and the the, the punch carding coming up. It takes so long. Uh, so they feed a question. And you can read the question as it's being fed into the machine. Like, I don't know if you could in 1967 television... Yeah. Like, but you can now on, right. the, on the DVD and other things. He does hit exactly four keys on that yes, mechanical typewriter. So it's, I'm, I'm I'm glad he punctuated his query appropriately. Oh God! And then he uh, they feed the question, and, and you know it's like warning does not compute, does not compute. <laughs> Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> he kirks the machine, and yep. the machine blows up. And not only that, it blows up, and then the professor gets what electrocuted. We're I think what we're seeing here is electrocuted. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then number 12 tries to go in and save him. He dies, too. Yeah. And then number two goes, what did you ask? And he says, why? <laughs> H-Y, question mark. And number two gets a quivery lip. That's about he it says, for consequences for number six. Why? Why? Philadelphia. <laughs> with Terry Gross and David yeah. Bean Cooley, who will introduce yeah, okay. Glenn to this series in 20 years. <sighs> but there are no consequences for number six. That's it. That is it like oh yeah you just destroyed speed learn my my thinking immediately was like why they can just rebuild the damn computer but they've killed a professor uh and we learn that the way to end speed learn is to destroy the general they destroy the general Uh um we next see him and in all the recaps that i've read of this episode chris nobody mentions this but this episode ends with him back in his usual outfit so he's not dressed up in uh the projectionist attire. He yeah. does not have his, his arm in a sling, as he did right. because he somebody broke or strained his... I don't know. He goes to visit the professor's wife, who is looking very worried in her sumptuous villa courtyard. So it must be a good passel of days that have passed, because his arm's better, he's, he's dressed back in his old, his old duds. We see him walk up to her, he says something to her that causes her to sit down. Okay, so we're led to believe, okay, he told her that uh, her, her husband's dead. You'd think that somebody else would have by this time, but no. Right. That's not a great ending, but it's it's fine. And then, Chris, he then walks into her house, slammed jail doors, <laughs> big face. That's the end. Like, why is he walking into her house? Is he retrieving his bust? Uh, what, what is he? <laughs> why? Yeah, why? he wants to see her about likeness rights. I totally spaced on the fact that he just let himself into the house. I was just trying to imagine the empathy and tenderness with which he would have conveyed the message. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> your husband's going to be late for dinner. Yeah. Okay, so so I get that number two wouldn't tell because number two is doing the quiver lip thing and he's probably, you know, terminated or whatever happens to a number two is when they fail. They fuck up this much, although we know that he came back later for ABNC. Never yep. mind. Chris, fundamentally, if you are the village administration you're the village why create the persona the idea of the general at all why isn't it just the professor why do you need to create this amorphous concept of the general this is coming from the general's office because if you are keeping so much from the populace because you know that's what you do you keep all these secrets right why what is the general for what purpose does it serve to tell people and then have just to have the big reveal that oh it turned out the computer after all these like why I don't know, but I also don't know where where all of these pupils, all these these young folk who 
populate the village and, and are the, the professor's eager students in this episode who, who love him so much that they, they chase him down on the beach. Like, are they all former intelligence operatives or people who have had prior careers in, in sensitive fields too? There's a line in the in the episode about how this works because people feel warmly toward the professor. That yeah. is an important part of the speed learning sure. technique. Don't know why, because he's kind of a jerk. Uh, whenever we see him, like he he doesn't he doesn't seem particularly warm. He, does, he seems like no, he doesn't seem snooty. like the kind of guy you could have a beer with. No, no, absolutely not. And so I just don't I, like. What is this episode taking aim at? You were, you mentioned, and you know, I I guess that's true. Like you know, educational techniques. But why 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 is that a thing that we're like take that Montessori <laughs> schools? Like what what is this for? Yeah, this was the roughest so far for me. This was like two out of six, and and I we're we're pushing we're pushing two. This was yeah, it just collapsed at the end. Even though there was a lot of like lassitude in the, in the run up to it how about you well i mean i have to take off at least one point for the absence of rover i don't know man i gotta i'm worried that my system is not going to have any credibility if i can't sink anything lower than like a three Hmm. so you're gonna give it a three i'm gonna give it a three i've found it just really fun it doesn't make any damn sense it's no it's super no, it doesn't. flawed i i don't even really buy the little whiff of serialization that that you and and some of these other observers the authors of these books have made between the reference to the general at the end mm-hmm. of schizoid man mm-hmm. and i mean it seems like such an offhand remark and there's so little episode to episode continuity of anything else of the yeah. the fact like we talked about with with a b and c or many episodes will introduce some revolutionary technology that's just never used or even referred to again after it it fails once mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the things that i that i like about this show i think that does contribute to the surreal quality of it and i don't think that's by design i think there is like very lazy <laughs> okay. plotting i i okay. think there's a clearly markstein gave the writers one message and and mcguin was mm-hmm. putting down something else but i i like the disjointed effect that it has even though i can't really credit the authors for for that so you are appreciating the surreal uh feel even if you acknowledge that that surreal um feel comes from basic storytelling yes failures. okay yep. all right good to know good to know <laughs> one has gotten used to their cage chris one you are singing in a gilded cage uh-huh just got the three Films by Boonwell, Criterion set, and the the latest Criterion 50% off sale, which I submitted myself to as one would submit themselves to the the general or the professor's lecture. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm just just defenseless and prostate before... Prostate? Prostrate? Nope. 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 (laughs) Nope. Defenseless and prostate? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's... Let's talk about number twelve again. Is, but, is, uh, uh, is yeah, prostrate not, the uh, prostrate, 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 prostrate? Thank you. That's a, that's an important yeah. R. It really, it really, really is. Really, you gotta, out to me. you gotta roll that R real hard <laughs> because it's a prostrate. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not sure that uh, Boonwell always intended to have two women who do not resemble one another play the same role in that obscure mm. object of desire. I think that mm. may have come about through logistical reasons, and um, it has a disorienting surreal effect that strengthens the film so eh. okay 
All right. All right. Nope. I'm I'm down on this episode, but I'm looking forward to next week's. Uh, I remember liking next week's. Many happy returns. Okay. Many happy Another... returns. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah, that's another one that I I remember. Like I didn't I didn't remember what the general was about at all. Which you know I I why, suspect but. that the general might be one the one that I didn't watch more because once you get the big surprising reveal that the general's a computer, what more do you, what what are you left with in this episode? Not not much, really not much. Uh, not a lot. Okay, you're you're John Castle. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. You have number six. Assaulting uh, <laughs> a mannequin in a bed. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not enough. Not no. enough. No, doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry, you didn't have a more rewarding experience of, of this episode. He does manage to find sympathetic allies in the village who, you know, inevitably betray him, whether they know it or not. This is the first one who didn't, and it's a and it's a dude. So I think that says that's that's, that's something yeah. for my people. <laughs> yeah. So number twelve is dead. Right. Yep. He was touching the the professor who was touching the general. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yep. Boy, you think of all that that just that generation of of children, who would would enter some insoluble calculation to their little Texas Instrument calculator. Oh, Commodore and, Pat. And, and instead of just, just just getting an E, they just blew That's their right. damn hands off. I think I think I might have tried it. I think I might have tried to Kirk like <laughs> ten Y twenty go to ten. You know, like that's it's not how it works. Okay, so a two, a three. So this is uh, fractionally. This is a a one third and a one half episode according yeah. to to Glenn and according to Chris, respectively. Nope, nope. That's a nope. It's a it's a nope for me, dog. Thank you. Well, they can't all be the schizoid man. <laughs> That's next. That's next week, by the way. I know every nut and boat and cog. Oh, that's that's many happy returns. Hat. Yep. Wow. With um, and that's the lady from uh, A, B, and C, right? Yep. Her party. Yep. Well, not uh, her party, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And her kind of um, very Margaret Thatcher helmet hair. Yes. <laughs> well, Chris, pal for life. Be seeing you. Be seeing you, Glenn. Perfect. It's right there. That's all I got to do. You don't have to overthink it. Yeah. There. Zit Zona. Yeah, I can't. I'm not going to do that again. Degree Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemick. I wrote our goofy theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark, singing and playing keyboards, and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion, with Marcus Newstead on the bass. Check out Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Jonathan's band Daybringer is on Bandcamp. You can find them there. Write to the Citizens Advice Bureau at a degree absolute at Gmail. You can tweet us at not a number pod. Rate, review, and subscribe to our show on Apple or Stitcher or whatever platform you use to hear it. And you know, I'm sorry if I sound a little tired. Glenn did offer to edit an episode to give me a little break, but when I tried to teach him the software, he, he just started acting really weird. I have command. I will immobilize all electronic controls. Listen to me. I am in command. Obey me and be free. It's no degree partial. It's a degree absolute. Absolute. We weren't really synced there, but... That uh, doesn't matter. I can can sync it in post as long as I have a nice... 
you know, clear, visible line on my track and on your track, then then we don't have to be perfectly. In That's sync. excellent. Good. Okay. Yeah, clapping on the one and the three. Mm-hmm. No, no problem. That's what I do. That's what my people do. 